0: Welcome to TJ Frog's podcast, where I chat about my knitting, Dorset buttons and creativity in general, as well as sharing my love of Scotland, especially the Highlands and Islands. Hello, I'm Tanya, aka TJ Frog, or sometimes called the Button Lady. And in my creative business, I predominantly make and promote the traditional craft of Dorset buttons, which dates back to the early 1600s, a cottage industry that employed many people in Dorset on the south coast of England. Brought up in Dorset, I now live on the Isle of Skye and wherever you may be in the world, welcome and thank you for joining me for my 27th episode, Dreek January. I know many of you did dry January, although I also know one or two who didn't quite make it to the last day and decided that the 31st of January was definitely the day to start again and I will leave it to you to work out the significance of that date Especially here in the UK, there was no dry January in this household. It's been all about drink January, and I will explain more in the weather section. I know that for some of you, January can be a month of quite mixed feelings. Certainly, in the Northern Hemisphere, we've passed the winter solstice, but as one of the longest months, it can still feel like we're in the depths of winter, and especially if the weather's not being kind to us as well. And I think it can also feel a bit like an anticlimax after the festive or holiday season. And then we get that bombardment of adverts and sales and promotions, which at times can be quite exhausting. Here we are, though, 2020. And I always find it takes time to adjust to saying the new year name. Of course, when we used to write lots of checks, it was always uh, remembering to write the new year on the check. I do like, though, looking at that 2020, that repeat of the two numbers, and saying it as well seems to have this sort of extra energy and impact to it. Talking of energy and impact, I ended 2019 talking about habits and getting rid of ones that I wasn't quite so happy with and trying to embed new ones and for me, this is predominantly around exercise because I know that when I exercise regularly, I feel better mentally and physically. And I've started off well. And I think that's partly why January has passed me by so quickly. I was already going to a Pilates class just down the road here, which started sort of in the latter part of last year. And I found it really beneficial, especially for my posture which sometimes suffers from the amount of time I spend sitting over a desk. And I also found it a really relaxing way to start the day. And I missed it over Christmas when it wasn't on. I've also started a beginner's boot camp, which takes place outside. Yeah, I've surprised myself with this. I wasn't sure I would like it because I used to do all that sort of training when I was in the services and it wasn't my favourite and it's a long time since I've done squats or anything like that but it's actually really helped me and get back into running. It's a good bunch of people, it's early in the morning, outside in the forest which I love, really taken to this and looking forward to seeing how I get on with that. I also went to a Highland Hustle class which is the first one I've ever been to I only heard about this last year I think it was and it's a workout which is based on Scottish Highland dancing. It's quite a high energy workout, lots of turning, moving around, jumping up and down, Uh, possibly not my, yeah not the thing I would necessarily put top on my list to do. I'm not really into sort of lots of jumping but I definitely will go back to it Um, and I'll add a link to their website in my show notes for you to have a look at it. It's very interesting. I've also been doing some walks as well and I've found actually writing them down in the diary, planning what walks I'm going to do is helping me to commit to that. There's still a little bit of bedding down to do, trying to get a little bit more regular with the walking. The classes though are really helping and I'm certainly feeling the benefits from it already. And yes, we have gone out walking in the dark just to get exercise, even though we don't get to see the wonderful views around us. I have another habit I've come up with, which I haven't started yet, but it's something I want to build on. And that's actually listening to and watching podcasts on a more regular basis. I tend to be quite a binge listener or watcher. And I know that there's nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing. It's just I'd like to catch up with people on a more regular basis. I've signed up to some platforms. I've subscribed to some feeds. It's just building them into my week when I can take them in alongside my work versus my what I call social knitting time I haven't quite worked out the process for that I'm still working on that one or as sometimes we have to do we just have to accept things as they are and I might have to accept that being a podcast binger is what I am (laughs) and on this note uh which I do have to smile and chuckle about. I've recently binge listened to Caithness Craft Collective podcast, Louise Hunt. And Louise is still smiling at me and getting her followers to smile at me too. Louise says I'm someone if you meet, I'm always smiling and you want to smile at me. And I just find it amazing how we perceive ourselves differently to how others perceive us. Anyway, along with Catherine Lymer, a Scottish knitwear designer, who really does have the most amazing smile, lovely, lovely lady. Louise mentions us both on her podcast and every time I hear her do it, it does actually make me chuckle out loud. Thank you, Louise. (laughs) Big hug. And I'm sending you a big smile, smiling at you, smiling at me. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then go over and listen to Louise. Right, let's get on with this episode then. I'm going to be covering the weather. Very, very grey. Very, very wet. Very, very windy. Press repeat. (laughs) I think you get the picture of what's been happening here. Making, last month I started a crochet project and this month I finished it and I've cast on two knitting projects. Dorset buttons, predominantly it's been about work behind the scenes here. The local lowdown. Let's talk about the ferry to sky from mainland at Malig. And the interview for you today is Across the Bridge with knitwear designer Emily Williams. The weather. Last episode, I signed off just as we were about to head off on our campervan New Year's Eve outing. The last day of 2019 started beautifully. The sunrise lit up the sky in all these pastel colours, pale blues, yellows, oranges. And it was crystal clear, so calm. We went out in the afternoon. We found ourselves a spot on sky where we were going to stay out for the night. And we were the only ones there. It was stunning. We watched the sheep come down to feed off the seaweed on the shoreline and we watched the sunset. All this wispy cloud started to gradually come in and it was just all lit red by the setting sun. It was a very calm and relaxing end to 2019. The wind did get up overnight and funneled down the head of the lock and whistled around the the van. So a little bit of a disturbed night's sleep. And we woke up to the first day of 2020, what is otherwise known as a dreek day. Isn't that a great word? One of those that you can really put emphasis into. Although please remember, this is a Scottish word and I am not Scottish, so I'm probably not doing it full justice I know many of you will be familiar with the word, but for those of you who aren't, what does dreek actually mean? I looked it up in the Scottish National Dictionary, which I also found quite interesting because they broke it down into records prior to 1700 and records post 1700. The description prior to 1700 is described as the older Scottish tongue. Its basic meaning is... Extensive, lasting, tedious, tiresome, slow. And it kind of developed to being drawn out, protracted. And when we know about it relating to an adjective describing the weather, it's kind of gloomy, bleak. And again, just that whole kind of drawn out, dull. I've certainly grown up knowing this word being used to describe wet, miserable, grey weather days that just go on and on and on and so when you think of the basic meaning that actually lends itself to it well and days like this dreak days do tend to just be persistent you know that the weather sets in and it just doesn't really tra- change it is grey gloomy wet Scottish Book Trust who had a celebration of reading and writing at their book week Scotland at the back end of November launched an iconic Scottish word vote and Dreek came out top. And it's not the first time. Apparently it was also voted as the favourite Scots word in 2013 as part of a poll for um, YouGov for Burns Night. That's what Dreek January has been all about for me. It has been persistently wet, grey, rain, wind, relentless. We had Storm Brendan here in the UK in January. Although, as I've mentioned, you know, we, we have many other storms that are not part of the classification system that we now have. And many of those storms also outweigh the named storms that we do experience. We had a brief interlude of a couple of snowy days, which brought colder temperatures and sunnier, calmer days. And to be honest, bring those days back back. I love that far far more. Yes with the wind and the rain it's milder uh, but bring me the cold and snow any day. The fields around here are totally sodden. Some of the animals have had to be moved to sheds or different areas of lands because it's just a quagmire. Normally also we see great sunsets at this time of year. There's been the odd day where at the end of quite gloomy conditions we've seen a slither of light peek through but certainly not the the range of sunsets that we often see here in the winter. I did hear though and I can't remember where I heard it that apparently we've been predicted to have a really hot summer. (laughs) Who knows? It's quite interesting a few people talking saying we haven't experienced anything quite like this for a couple of years and I think it It's not that we don't experience these conditions. It's just that it's gone on and on and on. Will it be classed as a a drink February 2? It's doing pretty well so far. (laughs) I will report back to you next time. (laughs) One thing I do have to say, though, which has been quite a noticeable change again, and and I don't know whether it's to do with the weather, changing of the light, so the day is getting longer prior to Christmas we were dark at four o'clock you know now we're past five o'clock and all of a sudden you know we went from kind of quarter past eight in the morning when it was getting light and now it's half seven in the morning and it just seems to have as I say quickly happened so things are are on the up and we will await and see what the the next month or so brings before we can properly say that we've uh, passed the winter months. Making, I'm going to say very quietly (laughs) that my shoulder is getting better. I've been building up how much making I'm doing and for some reason I'm finding knitting easier at the moment than making dorset buttons. We will see how that goes. I finished my Doppio Coliseum Shaw by Faye Dashper-Hughes and I love it. It was a great project to do, very rhythmic stitch pattern. And a lovely thing to do while we were away over Christmas in the camper van. It is now in the blocking bag. (laughs) Yes, I have a proper designated blocking bag now. A bag that holds all the projects to be blocked. Does what it says on the tin. There are four in there now. What do you think will happen first? Will one of them, two of them, three of them or all four of them get blocked before being joined by another project? I'm now ready to cast on my next crochet project. Back in 2012, I joined in with Jane Crawford's Mystery Crochet Project, which was a Victorian lace panel and used Rowan cotton glacé. I particularly love Rowan cotton glacé for knitting and crochet. I, I think it's got a, a great stitch definition and I love the range of colours that they do. And this panel was made up of a number of motifs, so uh, flower designs, and then with other patterns around the sorry, other panels around the outside with beads in. And I have this on a bed, and for some time I've been meaning to make cushions to complement it. At the time, Jane sent out a cushion pattern, and I just didn't get around to doing it. And it seems now that it's the right time, and it also means that I get to use up some of my stash. So bonus win. I'm thinking of doing three cushions, probably more plain stitch with beads. I'm not going to do one of the really big motifs on the cushion because I actually don't want to distract from the blanket. I want the blanket motifs to shine. So I just really want to try and pull the two together with some beads and possibly a small version of one of the motifs. I need to dig out though the pattern, my cushion fillers, the yarn, the crochet hooks and and actually really make up what I'm going to do. It's going to take a little bit of time. I'm not putting any pressure on myself. I think that's going to be a March project. I've got two new knitting projects on my needles. The first up is the Tin Can Knits Love Notes I mentioned as being my New Year's Eve project. I did make a start on it and made a really bad schoolgirl error. (laughs) I didn't read the pattern properly. Yeah, <laughs> This really irks me because I'm usually a very detailed kind of girl. And on this occasion, I missed something quite big at the beginning. I missed that it was supposed to be a provisional cast on. I put this down to two things. One, probably my impatient side in me in terms of just wanting to get on and go start knitting. But also I was very focused on making sure I actually got the right size pattern for me with the right amount of positive ease if you've seen this uh, jumper it's a top-down yoke sweater uh, a lace lace yoke pattern and yeah it has positive ease it's not really a style of jumper that I'm used to knitting for myself I did struggle to imagine what it was going to look like on me and working out my bust measurement and then what extra to add interesting to see how this comes out. Fortunately I had only done a handful of rows when I actually realised my error and I suppose if I hadn't have realised it I could have just picked up the edge later on so it wouldn't have all been lost it's just not what the pattern says to do. Have any of you done this before been really impatient or focused on one part of the pattern and completely missed something else that could affect the outcome? Crop sweaters certainly seem to be the in thing at the moment and are not something I would naturally wear. Firstly as I say it's just not a style that kind of hanging style normally I've always worn quite fitted jumpers. I at least like something that covers my tummy as well it just makes me feel better and ultimately we just need to feel good in what we're wearing. I love the style though. I love seeing them on other people and I'm particularly drawn to people who are wearing them over dresses and shirts. I'm going to give that a try with this particular jumper and I might just make it a fraction longer. We'll see how it goes. My second cast on is indulging me in my love of garter stitch. (laughs) I know it's not for everybody. I love it though. I love doing a garter stitch project endless rows of knitting and this is where I realize that for me it is just a process thing sometimes I find that action very very smoothing smoothing soothing (laughs) Ah, okay Uh, (laughs) see I was getting um into quite a meditative state there just thinking about doing garter stitch I completely lost my way Larissa of Travel Knitter is an Aussie living in London and she advertised early in January that she'd be running a fundraiser where she was going to donate £3 from each of her Aussie colourway schemes to some of the Australian relief organisations. I bought two skeins of her Tanami 4-ply, which is 50% baby alpaca and 50% silk. And yes, it is as gorgeous as it sounds. It is so so soft. If you really are into having extremely soft fabric against your skin, this might be the one for you. I was keen to support Larissa and also what she was doing with this project. I opted for the colourway Laneway City as this is inspired by Larissa's home city of Melbourne. And on further reading, I actually learned a couple of new things about Melbourne. Firstly, the laneways of Melbourne, which seem to be steeped in creative places and eateries and yeah just a, a lovely place to wander around and secondly apparently melburnians are renowned for wearing black which was something I didn't know either. The things you learn through knitting. Larissa describes the colourway as a blend of blacks and dark charcoal greys and I chose it because I often find myself wanting a black shawl or cardigan or jumper. To wear over something. And one day I might well get round to knitting a cardigan. But for the time being, I thought a big shawl in this type of colourway would be really useful. At the same time, Melanie Berg was running a fundraising on her pattern, Caress My Soul. The Caress My Soul shawl essentially has two parts to it. The first part is a lot of garter stitch, (laughs) and it's followed by a lace panel border. And it just felt like it was what I was looking for to go with this yarn. It really lent itself to the knitting project that I like to have on the go, that's easy to pick up and just do. And I felt that it would work with Larissa's yarn and it meant that both the yarn and the pattern were sending a contribution to the wildfire relief work in Australia and they seemed a fitting match for one another. I read on Melanie's Instagram feed recently that she's sold 355 copies of the pattern and 50% of the proceeds raised €976 and €25, which she rounded up to €1,000. And half went to the New South Wales Rural Fire Authorities and the other half to the Victorian Bushfire Appeal. Surprise or no surprise, I've already finished the garter stitch section of the shawl and I'm just about to start the lace. Away from knitting, I indulged in some other making in January. I did a journal making workshop here on Sky. It was a three hour workshop, so just a a short one, making a journal with a variety of papers and card and, you know, covering and decorating your card. And it was a lot of fun. Great to see all the different ideas that people had and lovely being shown all the different ways that you can decorate and make it your own. I rarely explore other crafts these days, primarily because I'm always a little bit wary of getting drawn into a new hobby too deeply when I already have other hobbies that I don't necessarily spend the time on that I want to. It did remind me, though, that it's good to step away and dip into trying other things. So I'm going to be keeping my eye out to see what other crafting workshops come up that's where i'm at with my personal making at the moment although for some time now i've had my eye on a couple of designs by jimmy knits the first is aggregate wrap and this is a two color arrowhead shaped wrap and i'm thinking of using my own tj frog dorset horn in the purple and green for this because i think it would make a nice contrast in the design pattern and I also love the Capel Cross cardigan by Jimmy Knits, which is a yoke cardigan with a lattice work of crosses um, as as the yoke. Uh, yeah, that's me looking ahead to uh, future projects. <laughs> Finally, in this section, something I want to bring to your attention is a research project that is happening at the moment into the therapeutic benefits of knitting and crochet, Doctor. Etienne B. Rush of the School of Psychology and Clinical Language Sciences at the University of Reading is leading the project along with uh, expert assistance by Betson Corkill, whose work in therapeutic knitting is well known. They are looking at exploring the psychological effects from knitting and crochet and the survey is called Science Not Fluff. (laughs) It takes approximately 10 minutes or so to do. And I think so far they've had over 5,000 people complete it. You don't have to live in the UK to to do it. Lorna Hamilton-Brown and Felicity Ford both have links to the survey on their Instagram accounts as they're creating a knitted artwork piece to support the project. And I will also try and put a link in my show notes to this if you think it's something you would like to take part in. Dorset Buttons. I realise I've been showing very little on social media of Dorset buttons. And it's largely because most of the projects I'm involved in at the moment primarily involve phone calls, research in books, online conversations, and not a lot that's actually photographicable, if that's a word, Um, or at least nothing that leaps out to me as being something I'd photograph. Uh, Or if I do, it tends to be an afterthought and too late. What I can tell you though is that dye samples came back from the dyers, so I now have seven colours which all work together well for one of my new yarns and I'm very excited about this although I can't tell you much more at the moment Uh, although I do hope that it's going to arrive with me later this month. I've also decided on five colours for one of the new breeds that I'm bringing to my collection and these are currently being sampled. I've also been working on some new beaded dorset button kits for the website and newsletter subscribers will get the first shout on these later this month. I had aimed for this to be out in January but as I mentioned January flew by and work on the new will has taken up most of my time. It's probably time to say that I'm not going to be at quite so many events this year. Last year was tough in many ways and I said last time that I felt I probably should have pulled out of some of the shows to give myself some time to recover from the beginning of the year. I also found that some of the products I'd planned didn't quite make it and they continued to be shelved as the year went on because I was on the treadmill of getting ready for the next show. And I decided last autumn that I really wanted to cut back at the beginning of this year so I could catch up on those products and that's what's happening at the moment. If you're always preparing to go to a show, it can be quite, up, quite hard to keep up the new production line. For the first half of this year then, you'll probably find me primarily at home, continuing to work to get back on track and later in the year I will be more out and about. In the next two or three months and as the year progresses, you will see these projects realised. In the meantime, I have a short break coming up with my TJ Frog staff and we happen to be in London the night before Unravel opens so I've managed to persuade him to stay down an extra day so that we can nip down to Farnham for the opening day I'm very much looking forward to being a festival goer which is something I rarely do these days if you're going to be there and you see me wandering around in my own little dream world do stop me and say hello On to the Sky Focus, starting with the local lowdown. Ferries to Sky from Malik. When we first bought our house, there was an excellent ferry service across the Sound of Slate to and from the mainland. And at the time, we were having to make quite a few journeys south for various reasons, and the ferries worked very, very well for us. Up until... 2016 Sky had got its own dedicated ferry. used to pop back and forth approximately 25 minute journey and then it got moved to the Oban Mull route and since then things have never quite been the same again. We had this ferry replaced by a couple of smaller vessels which not only took less vehicles they couldn't cope with the sea state in the same way, at particular times, all the tides. and yeah, there was a lot of disruption. We had a tidal, uh, timetable as well as a summer timetable and a winter timetable, and a lot of cancellations. And instead of the you know relatively short trip across, some of the crossings are taking up to fifty minutes. There's been a lot of complaints and a lot of calls to bring back the MV Curisk, which was the Vessel that served this area so well. And there's been a lot of work done by the Slate Transport Forum in conjunction with CalMac and the Scottish Transport Departments to try and improve the service that they're providing. At the moment, during the winter months, there are only two crossings each way each day. And, you know, this isn't only a route that's used by visitors, it's used a lot by businesses on either side. There have been some developments from the work that's been done and from the 2nd of March there's going to be an increase in the programme to six and on some days seven crossings a day. Hopefully if you are visiting the area at all you might consider coming onto Sky this way. If you've not done it the route from Fort William to Malague is beautiful. You take in the historic Glenfinnan monument and the Road to the Isles is spectacular. And if you've got time, you can detour on the coastal bit, taking in and Mora Beaches, which look out onto the Western Isles. It, it's just a spectacular route. The message we've been given is use it or lose it. Lastly, then, today's interview and talking about going across waterways, this time I went across the bridge. And in fact, strictly speaking, across two bridges to Inverness, for this interview. Firstly, the Skybridge and then the Keswick Bridge. And I went to see Emily Williams. A slight shift in emphasis for this interview, as Emily is definitely a maker, she's a very talented maker, but she's also a knitwear designer and has done some very cleverly constructed and thought out innovative, innovative patterns. Some of you may well know Emily, particularly from Instagram, as Flutterby Knits, where you can see her designs as well as her many ventures, wild water swimming. Listen in then to hear Emily's journey into the world of knitwear design. Hi Emily, welcome to the TJ Frog podcast. Thank you for joining me today.
1: That's no worries, it's lovely to see you.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's nice to actually uh, venture off sky and come over not only the Sky Bridge but also the Keswick Bridge as well.
1: <laughs> all the bridges,
0: yes. <laughs> as I said in my introduction, um, slight change away, we, we've got yourself today who not only is a, a maker. For yourself, but you're also a knitwear designer, uh, and also an engineer by trade as well.
1: Only part time, but yes,
0: yes. Take us back then to to the beginning. How did the making and creating start? Was that something as a child? Or?
1: Yeah. So I guess my child, my parents, I uh, was brought up a quite unusual lifestyle. My parents were self sufficient, right, and so I've lived the john seymour experiment (laughs) self-sufficiency handbook um and i guess the the wonderful thing about that for me is it has left me completely unafraid to try making anything and i've always had the confidence to research how to do something look it up have a go by yeah. the right tools by good tools by good materials and just give it a go yeah and you can you can make anything and i think that's a really lovely legacy yeah have been left yeah definitely. From, <laughs> from that era <laughs> so so yeah so i've always made things um and we you know the, the, the whole of my you know I remember making and furnishing a doll's house for my little Aww. sister it was like you know a, you it's a long time and I learned to knit when I was younger as well there was definitely one really wide badly swatched <laughs> or not swatched at all jumper that was <laughs> Like three times as wide, crop top. <laughs> <laughs> I was about 12 and I was so proud of it. You probably um, thought you were so cool. <laughs> I did. It was like some horrendous fluffy blue novelty yarn as oh. well. Um, but I I just thought it was amazing. I don't think there are any photos of it I was licking. <laughs> I was licking recently. Um, and then I guess I had a bit of a break from all of that when I went to... Uni- I did civil engineering at university and... Got really involved in outdoor stuff, like lots of walking, lots of climbing. Got into cycling, all of this stuff which I'd never really done before then. But sort of drifted back to it after I graduated. Sort of like I got an allotment um, next door to one of my friends, and we started knitting together on Sunday afternoons, watching those black and white BBC <laughs> films. And and that was yeah. So that would have been about. You know the early two thousands. Okay. So, and then I sort of like after I'd done a few rowing patterns, I discovered knitting blogs, and then I you know remember being really aware and signing up for Ravelry on, you know when they were beta testing. and, yes.
0: and you had to wait for your to wait yes. for
1: ages. <laughs> but so I was probably, you know, one of the relatively early members of Ravel, and from there the obsession with knitting has grown and grown and grown. Arms and legs. and, and legs. <laughs> tentacles and... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of taken over. And I guess 2010, when I was on maternity leave, that was a year that I did, you know, quite a lot of knitting. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing um, wrong with that. <laughs> no. And I spent a lot of time on Ravelry then, because there was lots of time when you were stuck in the house with no one to talk to. Yeah. And actually, you know, online communication was... bit of a lifesaver (laughs) yeah at some points in that whole process so
0: and what about sewing as
1: well well again like my mum has always made clothes um and you know I've sewn a few things when I was younger and then I didn't for a long time and I guess it was when I when I realized that I could make myself really well-fitting knitwear and that taking those skills I could also sew clothes that fit me yes that was you know a pretty big moment and I mean I have to I buy very very few clothes now not out of any particular principle I just I'm too fussy <laughs> 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 you know I always want there's always like I have this really specific thing that I want And I can very rarely find it in the sort of golden combination of, you know, I massively prefer natural fibres. So, um, you know, made out of natural materials, at least have some kind of ethical production um, statement or policy in the company. And then also an inclusive size range. And those things just very rarely, very, very rarely coincide in that particular product that I happen to be wanting at the time so I always just end up going oh can't find the right thing I will add it to the list of things (laughs) that I'm going to make consequence of which is I don't have very many clothes but the ones I have I love and I wear loads so I'm actually quite happy with that situation yeah I am down to one pair of trousers and that's the next thing on my list because one is not enough (laughs) (laughs) no you need a
0: spare pair for when they're in the (laughs)
1: washroom
0: And if anybody follows you on Instagram, where you are Flutterby Knits, yep. you've recently just been um, putting up on your feed about a coat that you have made, which is amazing. Yes. And I've
1: just seen it for, for real as well. <laughs> it's had its first test in the <laughs> rain today, which was quite exciting. Yeah. And again, that's something that I've wanted for ages because I've always done, like I so said, we've done loads of outdoor stuff. So I have always had your stereotypical outdoor Gore-Tex jacket. Yes. yeah. And they are never that generously sized anyway. And I'm at the top of the size range that's commonly available. So I basically got to the point where I couldn't wear... I've been more interested in jumpers and clothes with positive ease. And it's just got to the point where I can't wear a jumper, like a bulky, bulkier jumper that's wider. And they're not comfortable under these tight quarters coats. So I was thinking about what the alternatives could be. Um and came to the conclusion <laughs> that <laughs> a wax cotton jacket was what I needed. And then actually I saw the 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 coats of a pattern called the Amy Parker um by I think it's Schnitzchen Pattern, the German company. And like I say, it's available in a really big size range and it was just have these amazing massive feature pockets. And and I just thought, oh, that is it. That's the coat that I want to make. So I've been planning that one for a good two or three months, and I've finally got around to implementing it. <laughs> and it rained today for you, just so oh, you could yes. wear it in the rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and it's really nice because it's just it's quite oversized and just really comfortable. I think, like you were saying, though,
0: that whole thing of being able to wear layers underneath a coat and the practicality of that and particularly arms and not feeling like you're all kind of twisted yeah fabric twisted underneath For me
1: the standard outdoor coat cut is always really quite tight around my hips right um you know you think they fit over your bust and and then they're tight around the bottom or you do it the other way around so you end up with masses of bulk around your big armpit flap yes and then um but they fit somewhere else so it's always for me because of my shape it's if I buy something it's always a compromise on the fit unless I alter it I resent spending 200 pounds on a coat knowing that I've got to alter it to make it fit yeah (laughs) um so if I've got to go to the effort of spending that much money and then getting my sewing machine out and doing something to it I might as well just make it myself in the first place yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> next up though a pair of jeans it's my next thing because I've for ages just been really jealous of all these people wearing this amazing like, this new Japanese selfish denim jeans and they really don't come in size 20 Oh, <laughs> um, you see all these lovely you know oh that would just be amazing oh I don't have a 36 inch waist <laughs> so, see. so that's next up next up yeah
0: clearly then for a long time you have been experimenting with Clothes and making and uh, accessories and as you, you said uh, from from a child. So when did the design element come in? Was was that kind of a gradual process because you'd been changing designs on tweaks in patterns and stuff? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So
1: I, I guess when I started making garments. It was sort of like maybe 2003, 2004, and these Rowan patterns at that point were pretty. You know, they stood out as being quite inspirational when you yes. went to shop. You know, the, the beautiful photography. Yes. And although obviously the surprise element, because the model's hair covered up the Peter Pan collar, and then you got to it, <laughs> and you were like, "Oh, didn't realise it had that." Um, But if I'm being perfectly honest with myself, I was kidding myself that I fitted into their largest size. I could put them on, but they weren't really fitting. So I very quickly had to start adjusting patterns upwards. And then I guess I got increasingly frustrated at the sort of, you know, I became aware of all of these different constructions. And, you know, you went to Ravelry and suddenly everybody was knitting jumpers in the round. And that was not something I'd really encountered at all I I remember I knit a calf facet jumper that was in cotton it was raglan sleeved even and there were so many ends and and I was like you know if I'd knit that in the round instead of in pieces just I could have just would have been I don't know why it wasn't like (laughs) that and just like this thing where the aesthetic of that jumper was amazing it didn't come in my size and it wasn't constructed in a sensible way to be hand knit So I just kind of thought, oh, I've got to be able to do this better. (laughs) But it did take me quite a long time to go from, I guess I went to modifying patterns to fit me to looking at an idea and making up patterns to fit myself. And that was a relatively logical continuum. But actually the jump into grading that over several sizes was quite bigger than I thought it might have been. (laughs) so that that took quite a lot of work um, and quite a long time to get round to doing it. And certainly the first couple of things that I thought I might do that with, I'd made choices in terms of, you know, the number of stitches in a pattern motif or placement or something yes. like that, that precluded me making it into several sizes, um, which was a bit frustrating. I mean, I still ended up wearing the jumpers because they were great for me. Yes. They just um, so once I got to the point where I could at least have a stab at grading it before I started the sample was when I really started going further with the designing. Yeah, and that's like I say, I mean, it's still building up, but it's it's really satisfying thing to do. You've got
0: some fantastic designs as well that have come out. Thank you. And I haven't got the names of all of them here, but I will put a link to your Ravelry page in the show notes so that people can see what you've done. I think the things that stand out for me looking at your work that you've, you've done so far is one is construction. There's some different techniques or different (laughs) designs. And I'm thinking in particular, there was the, Trond- trondra hats with the twisted yeah, crown which yeah. absolutely fascinates me it's on my list to make one day and and so definitely construction and some of your shawls um the sort of modular building up of the patterns and color work yeah as well that's kind of what stands out yeah, yeah. and
1: basically a magpie that can't contemplate knitting something in one color when I could make it in three um, you know I've always you know I've always been like that like, you, know, you go to a yarn show or something like that and you're just like oh that blue that blue is amazing and I'm like but it would look so much yes. better with the yellow yeah <laughs> <laughs> what else does it go with <laughs> yeah what else do you know let, let me make it in blue and yellow is a consistent theme in my life okay um And so, and I guess that's the other awesome thing about doing it yourself is even if your colour is not the in colour this season, you just carry on making stuff in your colour. It doesn't really matter (laughs) if somebody has decided that, I don't know, beige or mint green (laughs) is colour of the year. That Pantone colour of the year thing, I don't, I quite like this year's one, but it's the first colour for about 10 years that I've actually thought was nice. Yeah. So especially that blush pink, (laughs) not really me. What is the pantone colour of the year? Oh this year it's really nice. It's a sort of it's quite a deep blue. Okay. So it's not navy and right. it's not bright royal blue. It's okay. just that lovely you know, that lovely sky colour you get after the sunset. That really deep blue. Okay. So that's quite high on my list of favorite colors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just need a few little things that go with it really well.
1: <laughs> Yellow goes really well. With um.
0: <laughs> so yeah so fundamentally then, color work, but few colors in what you do. Are you on the hunt then at the moment for some blue yarn that... uh... Oh, I I have have an immense amount of blue yarn. Uh, You have an appropriate
1: stash that... uh... (laughs) I do, I do, yeah. The project that I'm currently designing... Yes. a little bit secret, I guess. Yes. But um, it's got lots of lovely indigo dyed yarn in it. um, And my next sewing project is going to be a really nice dark blue denim Uh colour. And... Yeah, I like. I say, I know which colours I like, and to be honest with me, it's getting dressed really simple if you've only got three colours in your wardrobe. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot to be said for that, there, isn't There, there really there. is. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I I've never been, you know, because I I like I love bright colours, um, and so I've always had loads of brightly coloured clothes. But it can sometimes leave you struggling with putting stuff together. Yes. Um, you know I did have a phase where it was quite difficult sometimes to not dress entirely in purple Um, (laughs) so I think blue and yellow was a bit of a reaction against that you know trying to find some different colours but actually you know I've made quite a lot of basic things in shades of grey and having that neutral background means that I can have brightly coloured jumpers and scarves and hats without going down the slightly crazy clown look
0: yeah It's really funny about grey because I never really appreciated grey until I moved to Sky. We have a grey cooker, grey window surrounds. We have grey tiles on the floor. You know, I look out the window and we've got the old buyers, which are lovely grey stones. And I just suddenly realised that grey is such a great base colour. Yeah, and it's
1: so interesting and it's so infinite. You know, the number of, especially in the natural world around us, The number of shades... I, I mean, I do... A lot of my engineering work is um, geology-based. And the, the number of different rock colours of grey... <laughs> I mean, your ability to describe different shades of grey when you're logging rock has to be fairly honed. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, you know... So I do... Yeah, I, I like grey. Yes, I do too. One day I'm going to redecorate my studio in grey yeah. because it will make a much better photo background than yellow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so yeah grey is like I say I've come to it late but the affection runs pretty deep yeah
0: yeah (laughs) you hit on your engineering then so how does that play a part in your
1: design work well I guess it doesn't directly relate at all but a lot of the skills that you use as an engineer are really translatable when it comes to knitting pattern design like you know Being confident with numbers, yes. Having a decent working knowledge of Excel, yes. (laughs) Um, But I think more than that, it's the you know I spend a lot of my working day distilling down large volumes of information into a conceptual three D model, and so that practicing of three D thinking and then drawing it is is has been really really useful. And a lot of my designs are problem solving. It's either I want a jumper that is like this or it's, for example, canisp was what happens if (laughs) I do away with the front seams on a raglan and knit it all as one flat? You know, if I join those, if I was to cut, imagine cutting those pieces out of a piece of fabric and sewing them together, what shape would I end up with? And then it was, or if I put stripes on that, it looks really, you end up with this lovely dramatic sort of diagonal striping going down the sleeve. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so it will either be based on, there's this interesting thought I've had. I wonder what happens if, or it will be, I've got like this particular problem that Or there's this, this yarn has arrived and I want to make it a kit. Right. For, you know, So I do a lot of designs with Julie from Black Isle Yarns because yes. she lives just up the road. And I hate getting a kit where <laughs> you don't use all the yarn in it. You know, you see them and it's like, why have you got 30 grams of this yarn when you've only knitted one stripe? So a lot of them are trying to really maximise how much shawl or hatch or yes. whatever it is that you can get out of this combination of 30 gram skeins of yes. yarn or something like yeah. that. And just... Yeah, it's definitely better for me if I have some constraints to start (laughs) the process off. Because if I have an entirely open, you know, playbook, then I can just sit there and not really do anything for a a remarkably long time. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can all associate
0: with procrastination.
1: (laughs) Yeah, But yeah, having some sort of start point to focus where I'm making decisions is really really useful yeah
0: I think as well you picked up on some really key skills there as a, a knitwear designer you talked about you know maths and sums and using excel spreadsheets and and also being able to visualize something that you're putting onto a flat screen or a flat bit of Graph paper and and see it come to life in a three D shape and that is a skill you know it can be learnt but it's uh, yeah it's it, definitely it's, hard, it's like it?
1: I I'm a firm believer in you yeah, know everybody has their tendency yes but I firmly believe that you can just learn skills if you try hard enough yes you know yeah. there will always be things that you prefer doing definitely. to other things and you will often be better at those things because you don't mind doing them more often. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, Yeah. But yeah, you know, I've always loved maths. It's my favourite thing at school. So um, that's really quite useful.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned about grading, and I know there's quite a lot of conversations going on online at the moment around sizing in knitwear design. And I I was trying to think, um, I think I'm going back to 2012. I did a one-day course around sizing grading um some pattern design at the time I I had only been knitting again for a couple of years so it, I was quite out of my depth you know <laughs> uh and I was astonished actually at what goes into it you know I was uh, yeah. uh but that's not to say it's not achievable it was just it was an eye-opener to me and I think um I've also learned something from you quite recently that there's something called the ASTM standards
1: yeah and and, and- so that's just I mean, ASTM is you know, it's something I come across at work it's the American equivalent of the British Standards Institute right. so they have standards that cover an immense amount of things but they also have clothing sizing standards okay. you know there, there are several of them you know there's the misses and then there's the plus women and then which are the two that I work with the most but there's also children's and men's and you know, there's, I think there's a plus size men's standard. You know, there's several of them, and they're not cheap, but they are very, very comprehensive. Right. Um, so, compared to, uh, you know, size tables that you would see, like, I mean, the CYC standards are often quoted, and the, to be frank, there just aren't enough dimensions in those tables to be able to grade new mm-hmm. So, yeah, the ASTM standards are the ones that I use the most. Right. Yeah, they're just, they're great. <laughs> One day I mean to <laughs> have a plan <laughs> that I haven't implemented. I I'm going to put them all into a big spreadsheet and do a little linear regression on all the graphs and plot them all out so I can interpolate between the sizes that are in there more accurately. But at the moment, I just eyeball it between sizes. <laughs> because, you know, they don't, they're not... They're not there. They're in size zero, 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 zero. You know, you. you know, two, four, six, eight. And so it's not. They're not. They don't come in the nice two or three inch. Yes. Intervals that you're used to seeing in in the knitwear design. Yes. Yeah. Although, actually, I mean, I have to say that I would be very reluctant to say I'm always going to do these. You know, this is my set of standards, and and they're going to all be the same, because quite often the size the finished size of your jumper is dictated by you know if you're doing fair isle it's yes. dictated by the 24 stitch jump between pattern repeats yes so i i always base my sizes off that but i then my sizes you know my sizes are not the same for each jumper because each one has a slightly different um, constraint on it yes
0: so and also i take it probably um style as well yeah in terms of is it got shaping or is it one to be worn with negative e's positive
1: you know yeah, short yeah. long different yeah, options exactly. you know i i use those standards as a base every time but you know some patterns might have i don't know six and a half inch interval between bust sizes because it's oversized and it's a fair Isle design with a big pattern repeat yes if it's something that's a little bit plainer with more stocking stitch and that's closely fitting then it's obviously appropriate to have more sizes so that people can get that close fit yes
0: and i think one of the things that i've learned along the way as a knitter i'm not a huge garment knitter i i love doing accessories probably because you can get them done quite quickly I think maybe I that's think you need to work garments. You know.
1: That's
0: where, you know. <laughs> but I I admire garments so much but I I also know um just from my own shape that I need to improve my own adjustment skills you were talking right at the beginning of the podcast about you know as you learned as you were growing up about changing different parts to suit you better yeah. and I know that I have to Maybe work on improving sort of darts around the bust area so that the yoke sits in the right place, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I never knew that when I first started. I just naively went, "Oh yeah, that's my size," and knit. And
1: you know, it's so yeah. Much no, so more I think there a... is there is an immense amount of skill to be learned in, I guess, an awareness and also, I guess, an acceptance of your own body. Yeah. Saying like, for example, I mean, I I've got a forty six inch bust. But I also know that if I was to pick up a sewing pattern, go size, whatever it is, fits a 46-inch bust, it wouldn't fit me. Mm. Because what I need to do is go down a size or maybe even two sizes and then do a full bust adjustment. Because I've got, you know, relatively, my arms will fit a size down better and my shoulders, but I've got a big bust. So I need to make that adjustment. And I also know that I'm, almost always going to need to do some kind of sway back adjustment. But now that I know that I can, and I've done a few, I can pretty much make those adjustments before I've even cut the pattern out and test them. And most of the time I will be fairly in the right ballpark, enough that I don't have to redo everything. Okay. Um, And so... I think there's sometimes been a mismatch in people's expectations. I'm absolutely all for you know the the general call for improving the size range. My most recent jumper pattern has more sizes than previously. I've never made my size the largest size, but clearly there's a call for an even greater expanded range and And I think that's brilliant because but people still need to know what adjustments they need to make to fit their specific body shape. Yes. Because the diversity in body shape within a size rate, yes. you know, within a particular bus size is massive. Yes. yes. And, but that said, that's no excuse for not trying because it's so much easier to take something that is more or less the right size and adjust little bits of it to fit you versus, ah, uh, this is this is amazing design but it's like four inches smaller than my bust yes <laughs> and so like I'm gonna have to regrade the whole thing and do those adjustments is an you know it's an entirely different kettle of fish yeah. yeah so and you you mentioned there about your latest jumper it's the the Wilkhaven sweater yes. isn't it
0: and I noticed on that as well as going up to 66 and a quarter inch yeah You also offered three different sleeve options as well, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah,
1: and again, that's just based on some of the feedback I've had. If I'm wearing an oversized jumper, I like to have fairly fitted sleeves. So I've always designed my jumpers with myself in mind, so I've done that. But one of the comments that a few people have made is, you know, the bicep measurement's a bit small. And then, I guess if you think about it, it's entirely logical that your upper arm circumference is not necessarily proportional to your bust circumference you know that yes. <laughs> you know it's that's two things that are really not necessarily directly correlated with each other across a massive size range but also just in terms of you know it's a relatively boxy fit jumper with a drop sleeve construction so it's a relatively simple shoulder construction can i make that fit a range of sleeve sizes because it would mean that if someone wants to Have a closer fit jumper; they'll need the bigger sleeves, and it just gives people a little bit more choice. And the feedback on that's been really, really good. So that's something that now I've done it once; it was a bit of a headache. It would be much easier next time, and if it's appropriate and it works well in a design, I would absolutely do it again. Right? Yeah, I read that you put it was a bit of head scratching involved. (laughs) (laughs) Well, mostly how to you know not in terms of the maths, but just in terms of how to present it clearly in the pattern got you so that everybody can understand that okay you're knitting you know you've got to choose your bust size and your upper arm size got you. and that you've got you know just trying to figure out the tables to make it really clear yeah what you needed to do to get those different combinations was yeah. a little bit of Head-scratching. And also because I decided to do it after I'd started the jump. <laughs> I think if I'd started down that track right from the beginning, that would also have been much easier. It was worth the extra, a little delay in releasing it yes. to get that maths out and checked and yeah. you know, tested. So,
0: And I think you've hit on something else there, is about clarity of pattern writing.
1: Yeah. So... <laughs> Again, this is something where people have personal preferences, and my preference is always for a concise pattern. Right. You know, I've worked in a variety of engineering settings, and I have done a stint working on design of nuclear infrastructure. Okay. And, oh my word, the level of checking. (laughs) Quite (laughs) rightly, it's very, very thorough, and... Any repetition is basic. And the, the outstanding lesson of that six months of my life was that repetition is a source of error and should be avoided at all costs. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I try. I try really hard to balance, just avoid chat in pattern. Right. So you have an introduction. If you want to chat in an introduction, yes. that's fine. In the pattern, you don't chat. And just, like I say, to keep things as clear and as well laid out as yes. you can possibly manage it. Yes. It's not, you know, some people clearly love a 12-page chatty pattern. It's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just get bored and I don't read the instructions because my <laughs> attention span's too short.
0: <laughs> I have to be honest, I, I think I probably have been more on the side of brevity than... Um, yeah which is quite unusual for me, So <laughs> uh, I have found one or two patterns. I've bought the pattern because I've loved the item and then I've gone to knit it and I've gone, whoa, where do I start? You know, because the pattern's just gone
1: on forever and ever and I can't even work out where the starting point is on the pattern. And, As and- I just want to <laughs> open a pattern and tell me to cast on so many stitches yes. so I can get straight on with it. Yes. But like I say, that's not to say that there's not a place for patterns that are more like that. It's just not my style. Yeah. Yeah, I think this links back to something
0: we were talking about earlier um, before we started recording. That I'm not into reading manuals, (laughs) so (laughs) I want you to read the manual for me and tell me which buttons to press. So I think maybe
1: that's why I like my pattern writing to be as brief as possible. Just get to the point, get me started, get me going. I do tech editing as well, and I've come across patterns where maybe the same instruction for a row, say it's row one, but it appears in several other places, and I'm I'm just like just refer back to yes, you know, because if you start typing it out loads and loads of times, you've got to check it loads and loads of times. But there's also each one of those is just a source for getting it wrong. Yeah, it's another opportunity to make it different. Yes, um, and that might not be what you want. Yeah. So, and it's also when you're knitting, if it's clearly identified that oh, I'm working that bit again, then. It's much easier to memorise, and you spend a lot less time actually having to read the pattern. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Like I say, I mean, everybody's got their everybody's got their preferences. Some people just want to tick off every single line, yeah. and that's fine. My patterns might frustrate them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, listeners, you've, you've got the um, heads up there depending on what sort of pattern writing you like. Yeah. Before we draw to a close end on the interview, I would just like to touch on when we're not seeing knitwear in your Instagram feed, we're predominantly <laughs> seeing you out in the water, the open water, in and around the Highlands.
1: Even yeah. at Christmas in the icy cold water, you were there, weren't you? Well, I'm just disappointing <laughs> little ice this year. I have to say, I love an icy swim. Oh! <laughs> there is something, that, there's nothing that makes you feel quite as heroic as breaking your way into an icy loch wearing a swimming costume. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I I love looking
0: at the water and I'm in awe of the water. But get me in the water now! I paddle round to my feet, but the thought of going in and then being in your swimming costume as well and not oh, being all
1: yeah, oh, no, it's it's just I guess I, I've always loved swimming outdoors. And there was one year, you know, we used to do it in the summer. You know, we'd go and be a beach. And it'd be a lovely summer day. or you'd yes. be on walk in the hills and you'd be all sweaty because you've traipsed up a big man And then there's just this glorious little lock. Like, oh, I'm gonna go in for a swim. And then one year, I just decided not to stop. I just carried on, and I was uh, trying to challenge myself to swim at least once a month for a whole okay. year. Um, I would not advocate that anybody starts swimming in December in Scotland. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's much better to start in July and then just carry on doing it As the temperature until it changes. Yeah, gets too much. And you know, my swims in the winter are far shorter than in the summer. But I would rather go in. In my swimming costume for ten minutes, right, somewhere freezing. Than try and do a long swim in a wetsuit. Got you. You okay. know. So while I'll happily go and and swim a mile or two in the summer, my winter swims are pretty short, right? But it's about getting in, yes, and that you can't even think about anything else <laughs> other than how cold it is.
0: I live vicariously through your, uh, the experience through your pictures because I do I do understand the element of just in that moment
1: that it's this complete immersion know, yeah and I guess being so it you you never feel as alive as you do in the contrast to that cold yeah yeah and so it, every year Shet- Shetland Wool Week for me is really special because it often marks my first really cold swims of the year okay because at that point you know things are starting to cool off up here you know in in, around Inverness but often Shetland is the first swim where I'm like oh that's chilly yeah and this is kind of end of September beginning of October isn't it yeah and it's in the it's in the North Sea so (laughs) um you know that's you know the sea up there is fundamentally just colder than it is here and so, I, and I really like, I, I you know, in the summer I miss winter swims. Okay. You know. That Is that because it just has that edge to it, that yeah, exhilaration, completely. that kind of, yeah. Like an addiction to the adrenaline of getting yeah. out, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and people always say, oh, don't you feel the cold? I, say, I feel the cold. Yeah. Just as much as I ever did. I'm just more confident that I can cope with it. And it's easier to motivate myself to get in because I'm also more confident that the benefits outweigh the cold yes (laughs) you know and I know I know how great it feels in there and I know how clean the water feels and how soft it is and all of these things so it's just much easier to convince myself to do it now
0: okay so what about this is what I'd be thinking about jellyfish and also, like, reeds, particularly when you go into sort of locks, open... open well, so I I, I will avoid a weedy loch. Okay. I'm not a yeah. big
1: fan of a weedy swim, I have to say. Yeah. Sort of um, things around your legs, you know. <laughs> to be honest, though, a lot a lot of the places around here are, I guess, a lot of the lochs are not at their absolute natural level. Okay. So a large majority of them, I would say, have some kind of engineered influence. And... That often means that they slope really steeply in to the loch, and there's no weeds. Right, and also I guess because the water's generally pretty dark. Yeah, so I think that's the, the bit I wouldn't like. I like to see what's down. There. <laughs> my, my husband hates <laughs> hates the dark water. He's kind of quite worried about monsters, um, but he still comes in anyway. So that's nice. Oh, <laughs> um, but no, that uh, that the the dark water doesn't bother me, but. Yeah, I don't like the I don't like the weeds, and jellyfish are just a bit annoying. Outside of a Portuguese, the very occasional Portuguese man of war, there's not any jellyfish in Britain that are going to give you a really bad sting. It's uncomfortable. It's like being stung by some pretty hardcore nettles. Okay, um, and it's not nice. And something I try and avoid. You know, I wouldn't get in, but you know, I've been stung a few times, and it's just. Uncomfortable. Yeah, I actually have to say that I would quite like to get a long-sleeved top. Okay. Um, just for the summer, right? Um, but that's quite neat. <laughs> Nobody seems to have discovered the market for swim leggings. Yes. Um, Your
0: next project?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's a, there's an increasing amount of amazing swimwear that you can buy or make. But I've bought mine. Um, and but yeah there's the swim leggings concept I think it might be quite a niche product though yes yeah so but yeah something that's not wetsuit but gives you that extra bit of protection if it is jellyfishy would be quite good yes yeah there is apparently some jellyfish protector spray that you can wear okay I've never tried that though a bit like suntan cream but for jellyfish yeah I've never tried it maybe I will (laughs) So
0: when's your next swim planned? Have you got one on the horizon?
1: Well, I kind of need to. I need to get a... I've, got, I've had a few in January, but I need to get February swim underway. Okay. So um, I'd quite like to try and get out this weekend. There's, you know, We're really lucky with the number of places I can go yes. within half an hour's drive of yes. the house. Yes. You know, There's so much choice. Yes. Last year I wanted to go swimming in which I did so that's the highest loch in Scotland it's about 900 and something metres above sea level that was amazing the water was so clear you kind of look at it and there's all these big boulders on the bottom and you think oh I wonder if it's deep enough and then you get in and you realise that you can't touch the boulders at all Um, (laughs) they just felt like they 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 looked looked like they were close but when you actually get in they're really really deep the year before that, I went. I swam in a cave. That Ooh. was pretty special. That's on Sky, actually. Was it? Yeah. Which one? Uh, Is it down at Elgol? Yeah. Yeah, I know the one. Yes. Yeah. I've not been, but I, I know where you in are. I've cave now. That's really yes. annoying that I can't remember. But that was amazing. So you have to sort of paddle around... Yeah. A load of rocks to the entrance to the cave, and then you go in the cave and you have to sort of climb up a bit, and then you have to go down a bit, and then you go swimming. And then, of course, there's some random tourists walking and look at you. <laughs> we were wearing the ravishing combination of swimming costume and wellies, uh, tromping through this cave. Only <laughs> to me a massive group of people it was really really funny
0: a spa cave that's that's like it Yeah, yeah I've not been I've I've heard of it and seen pictures
1: of it yeah, yeah. it's almost right on your doorstep <laughs> maybe one day So,
0: oh well thank you so much Emily. it's been lovely to chat to you I well, you did mention, but I know that you do have a couple of secret projects on the go, and yep. I'm very excited to uh, learn more about them in the future,
1: as and when is a blueprint. Yeah, I really, it, I'm having a little bit of a struggle posting things on Instagram at the moment, because I'm doing yeah, a few things that are not quite ready to go public. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to wait, but yeah, I've had some really real fun time collaborating with lots of different people which has been really really rewarding so but it just makes everything a little bit slower. Yeah, than well, doing it takes on your time, own. doesn't yeah. it? you
0: know, I I think I posted recently that you know the reason I hadn't put anything up for ages is because everything I'm doing is kind of behind the scenes and it's just not very interesting stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know, to post. Um, so it is hard. There is that sort of time period where yeah. a lot, a lot actually is happening. An awful lot of work's happening. Conversations, meeting people,
1: exactly. Emails and yeah.
0: trial and error with um Various things. So yes, I'm looking forward to, uh, seeing your secrets being revealed. Ah, they
1: will um, be all in good time. Uh, yes, exactly.
0: <laughs> and thank you very much. As I say, we will put a link if we can to your Ravelry page so yeah, people can perfect. see your design work and, uh, possibly ask if I can get a couple of pictures off you to put onto the show notes. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, a just, couple of your, yeah. your designs so people can see your, your work that you do.
1: Absolutely do that.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Emily. That's nice It's been lovely to chat. <laughs> what a great interview. From making as a child to designing to jellyfish. <laughs> and that's why I love doing interviews that are not scripted, because we never quite know where it's going to take us. I took a lot of inspiration away from Emily. Something that stuck with me, and I'm going to quote Emily completely unafraid to make anything. What a wonderful philosophy to have, the, the legacy that she talked about from her childhood. How many of us don't embark on something and get held back by our lack of confidence, that in a voice that tells us that we can't do something or we're not good enough. I also thought Emily gave us a great insight into designing and making and adjusting sweaters and grading them to plus size, and in particular, talking about the difference between shape and size. And for me, what I took away from this in conjunction with my own thoughts is that we are the ones who know our own body shape. Yeah, we know our bodies the best. And there does need to be a greater range of sizes for knitted garments. But I do also feel that we have to educate ourselves how to make necessary adjustments on any given size for our own shape. I am not in the plus size range. I have a very small back though, a very, very narrow back. And with my maturing years, my bust has just got bigger and bigger and bigger. I'm having to educate myself on how to adapt the sizes that are there that fit in with my different body measurements, my different shape. And it's a bit like clothes as well. I mean, I find that I actually range between three different sizes, depending on which shop I go to. Um, Yeah, these are supposed to be universal (laughs) sizes. So yeah, I felt that that brought up some interesting discussion points. Have a look at Emily's Ravelry page. I will put a link in the show notes. There's also on the show notes three photos of the patterns that we talked about in the interview. I am excited to see where Emily takes her knitwear design, specifically around the the size and shape scenario and doing more adaptations such as the one that she talked about where there was a choice of three different sleeve constructions. Emily's definitely one to watch for the future. Emily didn't quite convince me though to take up wild water swimming, although that's nothing to do with uh, Emily, it's more to do with my thoughts around dark water and jellyfish. <laughs> I might though consider which I had not thought of before paddling in the winter never think to do that why not because again you still get that sense of cold cold rush that exhilaration that you get from that shock that's it then the end of the first episode of 2020 I do wonder what this year will hold for all of us on many levels let's hope it's a good one you can find the show notes on the website at tjfrog.co.uk and if you'd like to get in touch with me, either drop me a line at tanya at tjfrog.co.uk or via the contact page on the website or on Facebook and Instagram as tjfrogsky, Twitter as tjfrogmates and Ravelry as tjfrog. The music is by Ron Payntant and licensed from Melody Loops and called One Frog for a Prince. Bye for now, till next time.